The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. I'm Maura Aarons Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever. We look at stories from business leaders who've dealt with anxiety, depression, or other mental health challenges, how they fell down, how they pick themselves up, and how they hope work will change in the future. The conversation around mental health, it's never really finished. It's not about an awareness month or a two-hour awareness session. It's an ongoing thing that we all need to be aware of and constantly evolve on. And incorporating mentally healthy practice into your work is something a lot of us don't think about or we don't know how to do. But it's a discipline and it's a skill, just like filing your expense reports or showing up every day. That's why we think it's really important on the show to follow up with some of our favorite guests from past seasons and see where they are now. I'm super excited to bring back Prisca Neely today. We first talked to Prisca early in the pandemic. She was just beginning her first job as a manager, and she really hoped to lead from a place of empathy and understanding. I invited her back to see how her relationship with her team has gone and how her career has progressed and what she's learned. I think you'll take away some practical tips on how to be a more mentally healthy manager, considering things like onboarding and building a real team culture over Zoom. And if your manager needs these ideas, you could slyly suggest they have a listen to the show. Prisca Neely is a journalist, and she's now the managing editor of the Gulf States Newsroom, a public radio collective covering Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Here's our conversation. Okay, so last time we spoke, you were you were kind of gearing up for this new role, which was going to be an exciting job, but much more sort of leadership-oriented, management-oriented than your previous roles as a reporter and producing. And you were really thoughtful about the way you wanted to lead. We talked a lot about how you wanted to really try and do right by the people who were going to be working for you. So have you done right by them? Like, what grade would you give yourself right now? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was I was re-listening to, you know, our last conversation this morning, actually. Mm. And it was it was an interesting it was an interesting journey for me to think to listen to that, Prisca. So naive. No. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that I, I it felt actually really good to listen to that conversation and know that, you know, I was working toward a goal in leadership for a long time. And I, you know, said in that conversation, and I remember feeling at the time that, you know, it was a little bit scary to achieve the thing that you've been working toward for so long, but to still not really know how it's going to go. And, you know, are you going to really want to be this this manager that you've been trying to be for so long? And so, you know, I'm happy to say that a year and a half in, I I feel like I'm definitely in the right place. And, just recently, um, I won the Editor of the Year Award for from the Public Media Journalists Association. And that's something that my, my reporters nominated me for. So oh my God. that is, is huge and like probably means more than any award that I've ever gotten oh. because this is something that, you know, 
your 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 team submits you for. So that really meant a lot. That is beautiful. Congratulations. And I remember you sharing that even before you were a manager, someone had said to you, I want to be managed by you one day. So <laughs> did that prophecy come true? Like, <laughs> I mean, that's beautiful that they nominated yeah. you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel, you know, definitely like I have built a really strong team and I'm fulfilled by the work of team building and being in the role to help other people do their best work rather than creating content myself, rather than being out in the field, doing the journalism, having those conversations to shape stories and help people accomplish their dreams and, you know, hear from them, you know, what do you want to do and Hmm. still remain extremely passionate about onboarding. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, I guess another thing that I'm I'm really proud of in in the last year or so is I've now hired seven people and in that process, I was just developing a lot of systems for welcoming the team, especially when they're spread out across mm. states and all, you know, really in different work systems and different work environments. And so how am I going to make this feel like a team with people I've never met? And mm. so I, I just had a lot of different ways to welcome people. And it was essentially like what whatever all the things that you do when someone leaves. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm going to front load that and have that as a welcome package. Like what? So, you know, swag, always a nice swag <laughs> gift gift set. You know, public radio, we love tote bags and T-shirts and <laughs> mugs and all of that. So, you know, sending them a package when they start, you know, it was during the pandemic. So even if I had been in the same space, probably wouldn't have been able to take them to lunch. But I would send them a, a gift card for, you know, food delivery service for that first day. Mm. And then having like a Zoom party where you have to have an activity you can't just like all come and stare at each other but you have you have an activity where we would do trivia and there would be a prize and or you know different icebreakers lots of icebreakers to get to know each other and uh, we start our weekly meeting each week with kind of like what's the best thing that's happened to you in the last week a la sam sanders and it's been a minute you know what's what's the best thing that's happened to you in the last week not work related but so we can learn about each other and what our interests are outside of work. And that's something that I've I've really liked um, in just kind of getting to know people. And I, you know, I managed the first reporter I hired. I, I didn't meet her in person for six months. Wow. We were working together, you know, every day. And when we met, it was kind of just like, yeah, okay. Like, <laughs> it was cool, you know, great to meet in person, but it didn't feel that, that different because I, I, I call it forced bonding. <laughs> There's another. I okay to call it that. <laughs> because in the beginning, sometimes people would be like rolling their, or not maybe rolling their eyes, but being like, what is this that we're doing? Yeah. Like, what is this icebreaker? And then, you know, I would schedule another meeting. They'd be like, oh, are we going to do one of those games? And I'm like, wait, so you like the game? You like the <laughs> trivia? Wait, what is this that I'm hearing? So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I first of all, I love the onboarding idea because I think so much onboarding is just so terrible across the board. So I hope mm-hmm. that listeners can take something away. I want to talk about management. I have to say that my favorite thing about management is helping people feel confident, right? And like mm-hmm. being the lighthouse, right? There's a great metaphor in parenting, the lighthouse parenting. Like, I'm I'm not going to sail the ship for you, but in a storm, you can see my light and you'll know I provide safe harbor if you need me. And like, for me, that's what I love about managing. What I hate about managing is having to, and, I, and I'm and i in client services, so is having to 
be that person who sometimes has to have the really excruciating, uncomfortable conversations either directly with someone or on behalf of someone on my team. So that's like what Mm -hmm. I avoid. I'm going to ask you, like you said what you are loving about managing. Like what has, what has surprised you that you really don't like or that you really think you need to work on? Well, you know, to not 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 to paint too rosy of a picture. I mean, I am really <laughs> I am really happy and and proud of myself and like how I've grown in confidence especially as a leader since we mm-hmm. last talked. But this job has been incredibly difficult also. <laughs> and it's been, you know, I, I'm really proud of what we accomplished, but this is this is the hardest job I've ever had and the hardest job I hoped to ever have. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there've just been a lot of challenges and I, you know, I really do love that that setting that foundation in the beginning. And, you know, I, I felt like I came up with a really good onboarding plan. And I was, you know, first time manager. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some of the other managers that I worked with were like, hey, like, what do you do again? Can you give me that worksheet? Can you give me that that conversation <laughs> starter? And so I decided to write, you know, kind of an onboarding guide. Um, that I got published in one of the like public media. It's on current the public media trade, and you know, it's been extremely popular. And it was one of their like top ten pieces of the year. And I just thought that what I was saying was like extremely basic of like welcome people, set clear expectations. But a lot of people found it like really oh, you know like wow. So you know, so I said like at the end of the year, I was like, oh, I'm really happy to have this as one of the top 10, but I also look forward to the day when this is not like a novel approach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I really do like doing in those first few days is having a conversation. I, you know, create this document that's like employee expectations where we go over the job description and kind of what I'm expecting from them week to week or month to month. And we set goals from for like one month, three months, six months. And that's something that, that was actually done for me at a previous job. Mm-hmm. And so I, that was definitely something that I I wanted to to take forward with me. But we also fill out this worksheet together that's like um, what I expect from my manager and how I like to be managed, where we talk about how do you respond to stress and what's the best way to confront you if, if you know, if there's, you know, what's the, what's the best way to give feedback? What's the best way to communicate? You know, how do you like to you know what what is what's most important to you outside of work and we have these like really intense conversations when it's someone you've only been working with for a couple of days and have only really talked to in job interviews before that but i found those conversations extremely helpful because you know if you don't do it in the beginning it's not going to it's some of those questions are not going to organically come up no so you have to really be intentional about it and i found that that learning about those differences and you know right now i manage six different people and I have extremely different styles with all of them in terms of communication and feedback. Um, And all of our one-on-ones are are very different. And so those difficult conversations that I have had and that I do sort of dread um, Mm -hmm. have been better because of setting that foundation. And because one of the things that I've told everyone in hiring, you know, everyone in like jobs, screen, like early conversations But also, like, definitely when I've hired someone is, you know, I need you to tell me when something's not working. Like, especially if we're not in the same state, we're not in the same place. I don't know what you're going through. I need you to tell me because I will do my best to fix it. But I can't fix things if I don't know that it's an issue. You're lifting something up for me that I really think is crucial in a hybrid work environment, which is, I call it reducing anxiety through clarity. I think that Mm. part of what makes us really anxious, manager and 
staff is that when we're not together, we have a hard time knowing what each other expects of each other. Like, is, mm-hmm. is what what does my boss want of me? Like, ultimately, most of us want to please each other. And so hybrid and remote work makes that really challenging, especially if you're a new team. And people get really anxious and they act out their anxiety. And so what you're doing is you're setting clear milestones and expectations. And I'm curious if you think that that makes your people less anxious, but also if it makes you less anxious. Yes, 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 definitely on both sides. And, you know, at a, at a previous job, I just had a pretty simple thing. You know, it was like I started on a Monday and on the Friday before they sent a two week sketch of like kind of the basic meetings that you have. And that was for a, a position that I was going in every day. But I found that hugely, I mean, it, it just calmed me down so much. And so, especially with the remote work, I always do that. And and even to say, because when I started my job, I didn't, I, I didn't, I was like, how do I get my computer? Or like, you know, the first day, <laughs> the, the, the first day is not the same. So I was like, wait, how, where, when will I do that? So I just wanted to make sure that everyone I brought in, that question was answered. Like, this is the time to be there. And, you know, this is when you're going to pick up your equipment. And, mm. you know, this is, this is the first meeting. So just that, I mean, I think that the thing about the onboarding guide that I've put together and, and every time I do it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is a lot of work. <laughs> Why did I make this up? <laughs> because it takes so much effort to plan and schedule out all those things. And in order to explain something to someone else, you need to know what it is. I mean, I think that's that's the issue with training so often is that like in order for me to tell the person to expect and what to, what to expect in the first two weeks, I need to know what they're going to be doing for the first two weeks. <laughs> you know, I have to figure that out in order to tell them. Right. So it, it forces me to to make sure that I have a plan for them. Mm. But it, it also, I think, really relieves that anxiety because it, it did it for me. And so I knew I wanted to, you know, it was part of my notes to my future manager self. Like I just added <laughs> that on, like, you know, give them a calendar, give them a, a calendar of what to expect. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Let's talk about you. 
how has the role treated you and what, what grade would you give that and why? Your mental health, your emotional well-being, your stress. It's been a real it's been a real journey. You know, I started, you know, working from home, having you know, moved across the country and first time manager, first time editor, a lot of new things and running a new type of of newsroom. Mm-hmm. And trying to form a lot of relationships with people that I wasn't able to meet face to face. So, it, you know, the task was very challenging. And in the first few months, I was really, really overwhelmed. I mean, I would have these check-ins with my boss and I was just like crying and like doubting myself. Like, this is so hard, you know, and really doubting you know, should I have gotten, you know, should they have hired someone who had done some of these things before? (laughs) But, you know, he he was very reassuring in saying, we chose you for a reason. You know, we're going to figure this out. You know, Mm. like, you know, we're going to figure this out. And then he left a couple a couple of months in. So then so then I was without that, like, guiding force. So it was it was really, really hard in the beginning. It was very, very hard. And you know, I was I'd moved to Birmingham for the job, but I actually went and worked from from Maryland and stayed with my family for a while just because that I needed that support. Mm. I remember just like being at my sister's house and <laughs> sitting in her sunroom and trying to make all these big decisions about hiring and just like, you know, crying and then like pulling myself together for a Zoom meeting. <laughs> <laughs> and she would sometimes be like, whoa, that was like scary how you were able to like pull yourself together. But, you know, I, I say that the trajectory for me was in the beginning, I said, wow, this job is really hard and therefore I'm not good at it. And then after like three or four months, I was just like, oh, this job is really hard because I was talking to my mentors and I was talking to other people in similar, slightly similar roles. And they were like, oh, you know, well, I didn't really have to do that. Or I didn't I didn't have to hire a bunch of people when I first started. Or, you know, I had time to like build out the mission and then hire people. Or, or you know, I've, o- I've only ever managed teams where everyone was already hired. I've never mm-hmm. had to build a team. And so then I realized how unique the role was. And so I was like, oh, this job is just hard. And then I was like, you know, when when I started, you know, developing these systems and other people started coming to me and being like, hey, what's that that you're doing? I was like, oh, you know, this this job is hard and everyone's figuring out what they're doing <laughs> in their jobs. You know, there is no one right way to do it. And then probably like a nine months or a year and I was like, this job is really hard and I'm pretty good at it. And I actually don't understand how any of this would have happened without me because I have so many Unique conversations and over-communicating messages and, I mean, I don't know. I just communicate with so many different people and mm-hmm. in so many different specifically catered ways. And I just I, – I can't imagine really anyone else doing what I did. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the thing that – the thing that I will I will never forget about our conversation back in season three – we're now in season six – was the intentionality with which you – communicate and which with which you were planning to communicate. And I want to ask you a question. I read I'm going to I'm going to pull up this quote. You said I think you learned from your dad who's a who's a pastor. Mm-hmm. And you said in an article in Pointer, I've had to ask for help. There were a couple meetings where we had hit big milestones in the collaboration and there was just radio silence from the executive team and that was disappointing to me. And I'm like, hey, as a reminder, I moved across the country during a pandemic. I'm working out of my apartment alone. If you're thinking thoughts, I need you to tell me. 
I don't know what you're thinking. I mm-hmm. don't get any feedback. I feel like that is something that 99% of us who have worked for people are like nodding our heads and being like, just tell me what you're thinking. Give me some feedback. <laughs> Think of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I also get a sense that you m- might have felt kind of like lonely. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it was a, it was a, a challenging it was a challenging time. I mean, obviously for, you know, for everyone, isolation was a big a big issue at that point in the pandemic and, you know, I didn't have like a support system here. I mean, that's, you know, a big part of the reason that I was just like, "Hey, I got to go home. Like I got to yeah. be around my my sister and my nephews right now and and you know, see my mom and my dad, you know, to be able to have some of those conversations in person." But yeah, I mean, I think that 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 you know, when you are working and you can't see people, you know, something that I've I've tried to instill in my team is like, hey, you know, we're going to hype each other up. Like if you see something that you like, if one of you, if you know, if if you guys, you know, if you do a story and you hear it and you're like, whoa, how did they, you know, mix that or, you know, whatever thought that you have about someone's reporting or that was a really great sentence or whatever, you know, tell them, post on Slack about it, text them about it. Because I think when you're not walking down the hall together, you know, if you were walking down the hall together, you would you would say that you would say, oh, my gosh, I really liked your piece this morning. Like if you saw them, you would remember to do that. But I think so often it's out of sight, out of mind. And so I'm like, you need to have that intentional, you know, feedback because think about how it and I what I've told my team is like, think about how it feels when when someone says that to you, like the smallest text message of like, hey, loved that story, like those endorphins, like it feels great. So I'm like, you know, do that, do that for other people and like tweet each other's stories, you know, like get people amped up about what you're doing. And because that makes that makes such a big difference. But, you know, just kind of in the the position that I'm in, I have like no boss and five bosses. So <laughs> it's hard to get feedback. And I think in the beginning, because I wasn't confident in, as a leader and, you know, the changes I was making, I would, you know, kind of ask for, you know, is this what we should do? Or how do you feel about this? <laughs> and then over time, I just realized you know, I can't wait for feedback to make all my decisions. And I'm just like, okay, this is what we're doing. Let me know if you have an issue with it. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. this is what we're doing. And over time, you know, people started to to trust me. But I think that it can be really hard sometimes in the midst of everything to remember to, to say those thoughts out loud or tell someone when you have that thought of like, oh, cool, nice. And you just keep it in. You keep it in into yourself. You know, tell someone, tell someone. Because totally. it can make such a big difference. Oh, my gosh. It makes the biggest difference. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about I want to talk about grief because when we originally spoke, we 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 talked about grief. You have dealt mm-hmm. with grief. You you are you were planning. You had sort of thoughts about how you were going to communicate with your team. You don't shy away from talking about the hard stuff, and I'm curious if that has been something grief, fear, just the anxiety that's been in the air for so for all of us uh, in the period that you've been a leader uh, what, what how has that been how has it been to work with a new team who is working in such sad anxious scary times been for you and and have your own experiences helped you in that yeah i mean i think that it's undeniable 
circumstances, you know, the backdrop of, of everything. If you make an, if you give someone an assignment, if you, you know, set whatever expectations you may set in that onboarding meeting, they may have an off week. You know, mm-hmm. there may be um, something going on in, in per- people's personal lives. And I just think that you know, I had a manager one time who who told me, like, I don't know, we were talking about taking taking vacations. We were look, working on the vacation schedule, and it was always kind of a nightmare because everyone would be gone at the same time. <laughs> but their philosophy was just kind of like, you know, are you going to remember this one segment that you produced or are you going to remember that trip you took to Mexico or whatever? And, you know, like, what really matters, I think, is is something that I ask myself, like, sometimes things can seem so big. Like, mm. oh, we said that story was going to run on Tuesday. So it's got to run on Tuesday. And I remember just, like, catching myself at one point, you know, I don't know, maybe six months in and just being like, a lot of these are arbitrary deadlines. Mm. And, like, what ac- what actually matters? What actually matters? And and I can, I'm okay sometimes to send an email that's saying, hey, we're pushing this back a day. And it's like, it, it doesn't really matter. And, you know, I, I've had conversations with my reporters when there's something going on with their health or family's health or, or emotions or whatever it may be. And I, you know, I've said multiple times, like, you know, this this story, I want to finish this story, but, like, this does not matter as much as what you're dealing with. Like, mm. it doesn't. It doesn't. There's, like, no scenario in which we're going to look back on this five years from now and be like, <laughs> remember when we moved it from thir- Tuesday to Thursday? <laughs> like, there's just not a scenario in which that's going to happen. And so I, I ask myself, like, what matters Another question that I ask myself when things seem like so big or devastating or a conversation is scary is like, would this be in your memoir? And sometimes the answer is yes, because like work things are going to be in my memoir. You know, there have been moments that seem small, but are, you know, definitely are going to stick with me. But sometimes it's like, absolutely not. I am not going to remember this next month. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and um, yeah, I don't know. There, there was there was a point last year where, you know, I had to take some time off for my health. And that was really scary to do. But I made that decision because I, I knew that I, I wouldn't be able to be there for the team if I if I didn't leave them for a few weeks. And that was really scary. But um, I'm so glad that I did that. I'm so glad that I prioritized myself in that way. And I feel that it's been, I don't know, it's been like six months since then. And I, I feel like people have mostly forgotten that that happened. Like <laughs> things that wow. seem so big in the moment. Sometimes it's just like, it, it just like, it just with time, it's just what matters, you know, it just changes so much. That is such good advice when it comes to asking for what you need at work. Because so many of us don't because we feel like it will stain us forever. Yeah, I think I mean, and you know, and and you know, these are all in in certain circumstances where sometimes people do hold things against you. Sometimes managers, you know, can't let things go or are very, you know, particular about when when things get done. But um, you know, and I think sometimes in the news business, you know, our work does matter. And you know, in public radio, it's very mission driven, and mm-hmm. we we want to make change, and and we want to, you know, we want to do good work that's impactful. But you know, sometimes it's just like. You know, if someone's going through something or if we need to move a story a month or a day or if we need to change this or if we need to to let a story go because, you know, they're not getting, you know, it's just like what really matters. I think I think asking myself that question of like, does it really matter or why does it matter? It doesn't matter just because to me, Mm. does it matter because I'm going to have to change something? And then just like separating what I have control over 
and what I don't have control over. That was actually something that was interesting when I was re-listening to the previous our previous conversation. I said that there. I said was like, you know, realizing what I have control over and what I don't. And I definitely didn't really understand what that meant at the time in the way that I do now. Just, I guess, learning what to let go of. Mm-hmm. Learning where I can make a difference and where I can't. Or when, when you know, um, in setting goals to say mm-hmm. this is something that I can reasonably accomplish this month. Mm-hmm. And um, this is something that's going to, it's going to take like a year. If I'm being honest, you know, just kind of learning how to set realistic expectations just even for myself, you know. And, you know, I it's something in hiring conversations I often say, you know, when 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 people say, you know, what do you expect to have a decision or whatever? And I know I, I set a clear hiring timetable. So I'll always have these goals that I back time to make, you know, see that we can get someone on by the time that we need. But I always say, like in those phone screeners or whatever it may be like you know my goal is to have someone start by this date but you know one thing i've learned in this job is everything takes longer than i expect it to so <laughs> that's my goal but it may be off from that and just just being being honest because things can feel so big but then like a lot of times like the, the de- you know the deadlines aren't real like one time i was talking to a friend and, you know, we we were out shopping or something and we kind of lost track of time and she was supposed to be back home by six o'clock or something. And she's like, oh, no, I'm going to be late, you know, but it was it was five. And I was like, well, why don't you just text your friend and say, can can we meet at 630? You know, like there was all of this like urgency and anxiety over something that was movable, mm. you know. So, I mean, that's I think that's something that's really helped me is like I've realized that a lot of my anxiety is like for made up, made up reasons made up or reasons. reasons, things that I can change. What else have you learned about managing your anxiety over the past year and a half? You know, I think I, I'm a real giver and I've, I've had some kind of like family stuff going on with um, needing to be a caregiver mm. for a period of time. And I think a lot of times in those situations, people ask, well, you know, caregiving is so exhausting, but make sure you're taking care of yourself. Are you taking care of yourself? And I'm like, mm. No, I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not taking how when when and with what time and what energy would I take care of myself? Like I don't I don't know what that means, but I think that I have learned to you know to like figure out the sprint. I guess like mm. okay, I need you know I know that I'm going to need to be doing this caregiving for like two weeks, but after that I'm going to give myself a long weekend. I'm going to take the day off, or I'm going to do this thing that I really know that I'm going to look forward to, and just trying to like. I guess, kind of protect myself in that way, just being real realistic about what, you know, what I'm able to do. Like, you know, I'm a single woman. Like, I don't have someone else, you know, like living with me and like being a partner to me day to day. So mm. how how do you take care of yourself? You know, it's, it's sometimes it's something that I or how do I how do I make myself feel special mm. when I'm always trying to like make other people feel special? <laughs> That's that's a journey that I'm still on. Um, but I uh, I will say that I am crying less overall because okay. we talked about crying mm-hmm. last time, mm-hmm. too. And I do I cry. I do cry less or I cry. I think I cry differently. I cry. Mm-hmm. It's like, OK, something has happened. This was upsetting, you know, cry and then 
then like move on because I've realized I think I've realized some different things about my brain, which is just like I have a problem solving brain. Mm. And even if something happens, if, if it's a staffing change, if it's something, you know, that's upsetting, that makes me want to cry. I will cry. I'm not going to not cry. I go for a walk. I wouldn't do whatever. I let it out. And but in those tears, my brain will come up with a solution. It'll be like, okay, well, this sucks. But what if you did this, 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 and this? And I'll be like, I don't know. That is a good idea, you know? <laughs> like, as I'm crying, like, coming up with this solution. So then, like, the next day, I'll just be like, okay, I cried my tears, and this is what we're doing now. People are like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I've, I've moved on. <laughs> like, wow. I just, I guess I've decided how much, how much of my energy do I want to give to this stuff? Because it, this is, like I said, it's a really, really hard job and I do enjoy it. I really do enjoy it, but I have to protect myself. I have to figure out ways to protect myself because of, because of all the empathy that I have, mm-hmm. you know? And I think another thing that I've done to just kind of protect myself is try to, when I'm not at work, just like really just be thinking about other things. And I often like don't really talk about it either. You don't talk about work when you're not there. Which can be challenging for yeah. like when people will be like, oh, you know, on a Sunday, like, what do you have coming up this week? Like last week I went for a friend to walk with my friend. And she's like, so what's your week looking like? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not thinking about it right now. <laughs> like, I don't know. I cannot think of it. I feel that. like no. if I didn't think and talk about work, like I'd have like a like a Grand Canyon size like hole in my brain. <laughs> my I mean, catch me on a Thursday evening and I'll rant about all sorts of things. But on on the on the weekends, I, I really try to to not. I don't know. That is it, it doesn't impressive. always work, but I try to just really try to just do other things, even if it's like cleaning my apartment. Yep. I don't know. Oh, Prisca, well, I hope we can catch up again in another year and a half or even sooner. And I wish you <laughs> all the best. Thank you so much. Really great to talk to you again. That's it for today's show. The Anxious Achiever is produced and edited by Mary Dew. Our assistant producer and sound engineer is Nick Krinko. Many thanks to all our guests for sharing their stories with us. And thank you to our advertisers for supporting. If you want to share your story about mental health and work, send me a message on LinkedIn. I'll always respond. If you love the show, tell your friends, subscribe or follow us and leave a review. From LinkedIn Presents, this is Maura Aaron's Mealy.